And this is hot off the presses. I'm sure you guys have seen this if you've watched the news this week. Volkswagen, right? Um, one more of many examples, pretty much weekly examples in the news about how compromise uh, is a dangerous thing. Uh, it kind of topped off this past week with the CEO of Volkswagen, of course, resigning. And the scandal that brought about uh, Winkerhorn's resignation was, of course, over their clean diesel, air quotes, uh, engines. 11 million cars they produced with these clean diesel motors. As it turns out, they're not so clean. I guess you, let's put a, they're very clean as long as they're being tested, right? I mean, they installed software in their cars. So when they're being tested to see whether they meet the EPA's clean air, the, the clean air act standards, they're very clean. And then when you unplug the testing equipment, they produce 40 times over the amount of pollution that's allowed under the Clean Air Act. True, true story. If you haven't heard that, look it up. They got busted. Independent uh, tests were run uh, that discovered all of this. So their CEO is out. And it is just one more example of how compromise is a dangerous thing. Um, so we could go on all day, right, with examples of that. That's not really surprising in and of itself. Uh, companies and well-known people who have tried to game the system, try to get away with things, and have gotten caught and paid a price not only in their integrity but in, in other respects as well. The important thing for you and I, I think, is an alert here. It's not to pick on people in the news. It is you and I can be certain that we will be tested. We will really go through the ringer at times as to whether or not we will make compromises as well. Um, we will be tempted at various points along the way with offers that would turn us into lesser versions of ourselves. We were created by God to be special. We were redeemed at Calvary to be special, and we will receive very tempting opportunities to be less than the special women and men that God created us to be. Now, the early Christians understood that their mission was to be witnesses for Jesus Christ, that God wanted to redeem all people of all nations. And so many of them were actually eyewitnesses. They had met with Jesus after his resurrection. They had seen Jesus, so they knew of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Well, we are called to be instruments of redemption and restoration in the world as well in a world that is increasingly morally and spiritually adrift, right? And ultimately, above all else, and this is really the point that we're going to get to this morning in Acts chapter 4, above all else. So foundationally, what we build our lives on is Jesus he is above all else if we claim his name. That means, am I bringing God glory? Am, am I following Jesus? Is my life bringing him glory? And you can know that you will be tempted to settle for less on this question, right? At some point or another, let's be clear here, we've all made some concessions here. We've all made some compromises. So this isn't about making you feel guilty this morning. If you have made compromises or are making compromises today, by the grace of God, you can have a fresh start. 
and you can get back on track to be the person that God has called you to be. Now, the book of Acts contains all of these stories, inspiring stories of regular people, people like us, doing some pretty extraordinary things because of the power of God and because they've made the choice that above all else they live for His glory. Think Think about Peter and John. We think of them as legends, right? I mean, heroes of the faith, authors of portions of the New Testament. And they were, but before Jesus, before they met Jesus, they were just regular Joes, if you will. They were just Peter and John. They were fishermen from Galilee. That's who they were. Their resumes were fairly ordinary. Uh, They weren't outstanding uh, people in any particular way, I think you could say. But after Jesus, things changed for these two individuals. Now, to set up Acts chapter 4, you've got to look at Acts chapter 3. At Acts chapter 3, Peter and John are headed to the temple. They're headed up to the temple mount. On the way to the temple mount, they walk by a middle-aged man who is crippled. He has never walked a day in his life. Crippled from birth, um, his legs simply didn't work. He never, in his mom's scrapbook, there was no baby's first step. When he was growing up, he never enjoyed a, a soccer game or whatever the Hebrew equivalent in the first century was with his buddies. He just, you get the idea, that's his life. And so he sat there, because he couldn't stand there, right? He sat there as pe- right in the way where people had to walk by him on the way to worship. He sat there and he begged for money. That's how he got by. Obviously, a well-known person because there he was. Everybody that went up to worship, which was everybody in Jerusalem, everybody saw this guy on a regular basis. He was there pretty much every day. So Peter and John are, are going by, and he does what he does. Puts out his hand and says, I could use a little help here. Can you give me some money, fellows? And Peter said, I don't have silver or gold. But what I have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise and walk. Next thing you know, this middle-aged man has jumped to his feet. He is walking and jumping, running around the temple courts, praising God. It kind of got people's attention, right? So Peter and John used this opportunity then to begin to speak about the name of Jesus, who had been weeks before resurrected from the dead, and this got them in trouble, okay? got them in a good deal of trouble. They are arrested there in the temple area. They will spend the night in jail. The next morning, they would testify... Uh, in front of sort of a a, a gathering, a council um, who wanted to stop them from speaking about Jesus. There is persecution. You may ask, well, exactly who arrested them? Who was angry at them? Well, it was kind of like there was a Groupon in Jerusalem for persecution. It was half price, and everybody got in on the act. Because if you read the first five verses of of Acts chapter 4, Luke lists virtually every group is involved in shutting them down. Luke lists the following groups in just those first verses of of Acts chapter 4. The priests, the temple guards, 
Um, the Sadducees, a Jewish uh, religious sect, the rulers, the elders, the teachers of the law, Luke says the high priest is in on it. Luke says even the high priest boys are in on it. So everyone is out to shut them down. So Peter and John, after spending a night in jail, appear before this group and they're asked, what happened at the temple yesterday. Explain yourselves, gentlemen. They said, well, we saw a crippled man. We healed him in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. The one you guys had crucified a few weeks back. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, he was healed. And now that crippled man is standing right here. He was there, standing right here on his own two legs. Any questions? <laughs> and then Peter makes this uncompromising declaration in Acts chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. Now let's read this. If you'd read this with me, this would be great. Um, he says, The stone that you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. That is quite an uncompromising declaration in a very sticky situation. Not a popular thing for Peter to say. Salvation in no one else, no other name other than Jesus Christ by which people may be saved. And the leaders who were putting them through their paces here wanted them to back down, to be silent about Jesus. And Peter makes this statement. Not a popular thing to say back then, perhaps not a popular thing to say these days either in the public sphere. Um, we live in a day and time when it, it's, it, it's okay or it, it's okay to believe just about anything. What it's not okay to do, what it's not okay to do is to go public with a very exclusive black and white position on something. Kind of the unspoken rule is don't judge anybody for their views. Don't judge anybody for their lifestyles. And you know it's a rule because the second you break it, things get weird, right? You start making declarations about what's right and wrong in a social setting, all of a sudden people kind of drift, drift away from you. People kind of clam up. And certainly, because we love people, and we know they're made in the image of God and everybody has value. We respect them. We listen to them. We care about what they think. But here is, here's the deal. Um, Jesus did, in fact, die for the sins of all people. He died for the sins of Muslims and atheists. And Buddhists, he died for the sins of all people, and no one will be saved except through the name of Jesus. Now, Jesus, the reason there's such boldness and confidence from Peter and John here is Jesus had been raised from the dead. He had been raised from the dead. No one else has ever done this. 
No one else has ever done this. Now, there were other... Okay, we, we sometimes forget about this. There are other messiahs in these days in the first century. Other messiahs floating around that part of the world just within decades of Jesus' life. There were five or six messiahs, air quotes, um, who claimed to be the one that God was sending to set Israel free from the Romans. They were not all, look, they weren't all a bunch of lunatics or charlatans. Mostly they were calling people to go deeper with God. Um, to, they were calling people to this hope that God was going to set pe- the, his people free. And I bet you can guess what happened to these messiahs. They all died, all of them, violent deaths. Either the Roman government put them to death as insurrectionists or rival groups put them to death because it wasn't their Messiah. It was a rival Messiah. That's what happened. Now, I also bet you can guess what happened to their movements, what happened to their followers when they were killed. They disappeared faster than donuts at a Weight Watchers convention. You see, if you were part of a movement and your Messiah died, you had basically two choices. You could join the Dead Messiah Recovery Group or you could go find another non-dead Messiah. Those were your choices, right? Um, If you were following a dead Messiah, if you were following a dead Messiah, the only explanation for that was you didn't get the memo, he got killed last week. Time to find a new one. And so these, these groups would rise up and then they would just dissipate very, very quickly. But here's the thing. It was different with the group that Peter and John were part of. It was different with the church. He was crucified. Jesus had been crucified. Everybody knew it. Public thing at Passover in Jerusalem. But in the weeks following his death, his movement grew. Explosive growth. Just in the first four chapters of Acts, in Acts chapter 1, there are 120 disciples. In Acts chapter 2, we know after that sermon that Peter preaches, it explodes to over 3,000 disciples. In Acts chapter 4, there are over 5,000, not counting women and children. So the, the movement, after Jesus was publicly executed, his movement explodes. Interesting, right? After this Messiah died, his movement went viral. That's not what happened when the Messiahs would die. The same people who had witnessed Jesus' execution at Calvary, all of a sudden they're selling all of their possessions to help each other out. All of a sudden they're excited about their faith. All of a sudden their numbers are swelling. Why? Because they had not only witnessed the execution of Jesus, they had witnessed the resurrection of Jesus. They had experienced the power of their Lord, resurrected and glorious. He had been killed, yeah. But he had come and he had conquered death. And over 500 people had been eyewitnesses to him being alive after his execution. 
Um, some had had breakfast with him, had, had embraced him. Some had had conversations with him. Some had, had listened to him teach after his, after his crucifixion. So he was alive. That's what happened. That's why their movement is exploding instead of just disappearing like all of the others. And that is why Jesus is different, and that is why Jesus for us is above all else. Now, there are things, certainly, in our world that are relative. The truth value of a lot of things is relative, open for debate, and there's not really a, a right answer. You have one answer. I might have a different answer. And the worth may change depending on the situation or the time. There are places, lots of places, where certainly just respecting and being quiet and saying, hey, that's your opinion, I've got my opinion, where that's, that's, that's the way to go. You think McDonald's hamburgers are better than Whataburger? Okay, you're wrong, but I respect your opinion. You're right to believe that. Um, you think Donald Trump has cool hair? Well, I have trouble respecting that, but I'll do my best to respect that, okay? Um, giving people space and respecting different views from our own is a good thing. It is. But what happens when views collide with central bedrock truths? Some things, a lot of things are relative. Yeah, they are. But aren't there absolutes on a whole range of subjects? Let's be clear. Everybody believes there are some things. Everybody believes, no matter what you say, <laughs> you believe there are some things that are not relative. Believe me. There are truths that you hold on to, you know that exist, that are not changing. Um, and you really want to get these right. You really need to get these right. Okay? Um, antifreeze looks a whole lot like lemonade. <laughs> it, re it really does. Um, but do you really want to guzzle down a cold glass of antifreeze on a hot summer day? If you do, you die. If you do, you die. Um, if you think it will go just fine, you're just wrong about that. Now, to tell someone that they should not drink that glass of antifreeze is not mean. It's not disrespectful. It's an act of love. You're trying to save their life, right? It's not up for debate. That's going to kill you, okay? Um, you really want to be right on the issue of whether or not you should drink a glass of antifreeze. You want to get that issue right. Um, a few weeks ago, you know, uh, Isla and I were, got to take that trip to England. We were speaking at that conference up there in Lancaster and one of the first experiences there, get to Heathrow, is, is go pick up the, har, the car rental at Hertz. And you know it's a little different driving in England. They drive on the left side, not the right side. And you as the driver are sitting on the right side of the car, not the what we would call the driver's side. So you're on the right side, you're shifting gears with, the, with your left arm. It's all a little bit Weird. It, it's kind of different. So as you drive up north out of London on the M1, which is kind of that interstate that runs north there, um, I'm going up there about 75 miles an hour headed up north, and I could have made, I could have made the choice. 
I'm going to drive on the right side of the road. That's what I am going to do. Look, England, you have your truth, I have my truth. I think driving on the right side of the road is right. I think your nation is wrong about that one. You guys in England just need to respect my beliefs about that. Well, how do you think that would have worked out for me? 75 miles an hour up the run. I wouldn't be here, for starters, today. I wouldn't be here. Um, it's not one of those, well, you have your view, I have my view, let's just agree to disagree. <laughs> it doesn't work in that case, does it? I think you see where we're going here. You're not, you're not narrow-minded when you act in accordance with what is true and when you speak out about what is true. You want to get the bedrock truths down. You want to have those figured out because there are always consequences when you don't. Compromise on the best burger joint, no problem. That's fine. Be open if you're a college student to rethinking your major, sure, but not your Messiah. You want to get your Messiah right. Uh, what you believe in, what you hold above all else, and everybody, whatever their religion or outlook, has something that they hold above all else. Jesus was raised by God from the dead just as Jesus had predicted would happen. Pretty convincing truth that this, this is why the Messiah's movement took off after his death instead of vanishing like all of the others. Because his resurrection established him as Lord and Christ. And so, as Peter said, exclusively in the name of Jesus Christ, exclusively there you will find salvation. Back to Peter and John. So, they're on trial there. It, is, it stuns people uh, what is happening with these two um, because they were leaders of this movement that instead of dissolving when their Messiah died is exploding in growth. And they, it, it's interesting, as they go in the temple, as they walk about Jerusalem, they are not the fearful, timid, apologetic kinds of people that you would expect to find who had recently figured out that their Messiah had died. Well, I get, I'm, guys, we had that wrong. I mean, I, we messed up there. We'll, we'll, we'll look for the next one. They, they were not apologetic or timid or fearful. Acts chapter 4, verses 13 to 17. So here they are essentially on trial, an informal trial, if you will, but it's kind of being on trial. Starting in verse 13 here in Acts 4, the members of the council were amazed. They were blown away when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. For they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the Scriptures. Aha! But they also recognized them as men who had been with who? With Jesus. Ordinary guys, but... They've been with Jesus, haven't they? And since they could see the, the man who had been healed standing, standing right there among them, there was nothing the council could say. 
So they ordered Peter and John out of the chamber and conferred among themselves. What should we do with these men? They asked each other. We, we can't deny that they have performed a miraculous sign. Everybody in Jerusalem knows about it. But to keep them from spreading their propaganda any further, we must warn them not to speak to anyone in Jesus' name again. So Peter and John were ordinary, unschooled guys. But they had been with Jesus. They had been with Jesus, who wasn't very ordinary. Jesus is the only one to have ever lived a life free from sin. Jesus is the only one to ever offer his life as an atoning sacrifice for sin. Jesus is the only one to predict, I will be raised from the dead and then be raised from the dead. Jesus is the only one to ascend to the right hand of God in heaven. Jesus wasn't ordinary. And his followers were and are transformed in ways that are extraordinary because they have found this uncompromising truth on which to build their entire lives. On the name of Jesus, the identity of Christ in the spiritual world, truth. It's not a concept like 2 plus 2 equals 4. In the spiritual world, truth is a person. A person named Jesus. Jesus said of himself in John chapter 14, verse 6, he said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So, compromise can be a dangerous thing. We were made in the image of God to exist for the glory of God. In Jesus Christ, all of our sins are forgiven. The Holy Spirit has come to live in us. Our identity is under the lordship of Jesus, under the authority of Jesus. That's why we call Him Lord. And, and, and our identity, part of that is this outflow of boldly helping others to know this salvation that comes only through Jesus. Back to Acts chapter 4, verses 18 to 20. So they've had their little conference with Peter and John outside the room. They bring them back in. Uh, they called them in again, commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Judge for yourselves whether it's right in God's sight to obey you. <laughs> rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. So as we wrap up, and this will be very quick here at the end, as we wrap up, here are just some take-home lessons um, from Acts chapter 4 about building on an uncompromised foundation. The way to build a life that can stand, a, a life that can stand the storms that will inevitably come our way. Um, the first thing here is I acknowledge that regardless of outcomes, 
I obey God above all else. That's the voice I listen to. That's the voice I follow. They ask that question, rhetorical question there in verse 19. Judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. Um, Now, that's not just a way to build a strong foundation for your life. Listen to this. It is also a way to reveal what your actual foundation is. Um, Because it's one thing to say, I love my spouse above all else, or I love my kids more than anything else, or I would do anything for my family. It is one thing to announce to the world something like, I belong to God above all else, but you find out whether or not that's true. That statement you're making, you find out whether or not that's true when the outcomes become costly because of that foundation you're holding on to. Does that make sense? When things get tough, we'll find out whether or not what you say really is What you say is the foundation of your life really is the foundation of your life. Uh, For Peter and John, they say, Jesus, above all else, that is who we follow, regardless of outcomes. In this chapter, uh, persecution, threats, arrest, uh, a night in jail, that's just in chapter 4. So the outcomes were not exactly pleasant for them, but... But that really was their foundation. It was tested, and we see it in Acts chapter 4. The authority in your life, the foundation you're building on, that which is above all else for you, will be revealed when you are tested, when you have to pay a price. Think about Volkswagen for a second. Back to VWs. By the way, if you have one, you don't have to slink out of here after the service. Oh, boy, I better get my Passat out of here quickly before anybody sees, you know? I mean, I've owned a couple Volkswagens, loved them, good cars, all that stuff, okay? But they're in the news. For Volkswagen, it is one thing for them to, to put in their advertising and to use their slogan for these 11 million cars, clean diesel, to announce that, to proclaim that, to declare that, clean diesel. That's what we do, baby. That's how we roll. It's one thing to say that. It's one thing to market that, to put that out there. But I... I'm going to hazard a guess here. I bet it's a whole lot cheaper to build motors that don't meet clean air standards. I bet it would be a whole lot more expensive to be churning out cars that actually were clean diesels. Okay? Um, So much to their embarrassment, the whole world got to see That's not really their foundation, okay? That's not really something that they're going to hold an uncompromising view on. When it gets expensive, they're not going to live up to what they're announcing to the whole world, are they? So I'm not trying to pick on them, okay? The point is that we as disciples, we place Jesus above all else. We obey Him rather than other people, rather than even our own preferences, and even when there is a price tag attached to our allegiance to Jesus Christ above all else. Next. Second bullet point there. I know that my salvation is grounded on the historical truth, historical truth of the death, burial, and resurrection, resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
And Peter and John are saying, this isn't a matter of opinion for us. They're saying he, he was resurrected. I mean, we, we've seen him. He, he was resurrected. We've had breakfast with him. Um, that's why we're here willing to face persecution and potential death here because he, he was resurrected. We're not talking about an opinion about, what, about which religion is better. Um, we're dealing with historical questions here. Either, A, <laughs> Jesus was raised from the dead historically, or B, Jesus wasn't raised from the dead. Our faith depends on that. Uh, Peter and John were quite confident they knew the answer to that, as were the early Christians, because they had seen him. They knew he'd conquered death. And that reality grounds us. And so finally, and this is what I'm, perhaps I cherish the most of all of this account in Acts chapter 4. This is the third bullet point there. I think this really lifts us up. I know that God can do amazing things in my life because he has always used ordinary people just like me. That's the way God works. He uses ordinary people to accomplish amazing things. No one is saying that Peter and John were like, I, mean, I don't know, that they were knuckleheads or they were idiots. I mean, they, they were regular people. They were like us in so many ways. They're just regular folks. Um, but they were regular people who'd spent time with Jesus and who knew the Lord. And the Lord loves to use people like Peter and John, people like us, to do amazing things because he gets all the glory. He gets all the glory when folks see us doing amazing things in his name. So at Preston Crest, yeah, we're going to accept and respect and love all people. And because we care about all people, because we care about each person's inherent worth as a child of God made in his image, we care about their eternal destiny, then we will not waver from lifting up the name of Jesus, the name in which each person can encounter salvation. Today, are you ready to build your life on the firm foundation of Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God, Will you wear Jesus, confessing your faith and being baptized in his name as so many were back in the early days of the church? Maybe you're a Christian, but you've been making some compromises. When the testing has come, when it's gotten expensive to live out your faith, you've said no thanks. Privately made other choices, or publicly made other choices. If that's the case, you need to repent this morning. Turn back around. Come back to Christ and establish your life on that firm foundation, on the rock that is Jesus Christ. Maybe this morning you need prayers, as we often do. We just invite you to pray over whatever's going on with your neighbor there, with your class or small group, or come down and pray with me or one of the shepherds. However you need to respond this morning, respond to God. Build your life on him as we stand together and worship.